0: Okay, guys, we're we're in chapter eight. We're going to finish up chapter eight today of Romans, and uh, this is a very important lesson. And as we get through it, I think you'll see why it's important. There's some some foundational truth here that you need to understand for your Christian life. So let's look together. We're going to look at verses eighteen through thirty one, thirty nine. And we're going to talk about, again, the Spirit's work in our life. and we're also going to talk about uh, security. We're going to talk about God's glory and security. So notice with me first of all verses 18 through 27. Paul writes, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which we, which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also being delivered from the bondage of corruption and of the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope in that scene is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see we eagerly wait for it with perseverance likewise the spirit also helps in our weakness for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God, Okay, so let's look, first of all, future, future glory and creation. First of all, I want you to notice, Paul states that our present suffering does not compare to the future glory that will be revealed. I think this is something we've got to remind ourselves of. First of all, do you find life to be pretty difficult? Do you? Only one person does. Everybody else is like... Or, or have you not had enough coffee yet? Okay, it's that's pretty tough, right? Just when you think it's going to be okay, it, it gets pretty tough. Do, do you know? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, some of you, like I, I've met people when they thought, "Man, I'm getting close to retirement. I got my got my my nest egg already," and then the market collapses and they lose their nest egg. That's life, isn't it? Did you know what I'm saying? What what I want you to see is is that our suffering here is just a part of our life. But here's what we need to be reminded of what we need to be reminded of is that our current suffering is nothing compared to the future glory that's to be revealed. If you're a believer in Christ, it is nothing compared to the future glory. To be revealed in Christ. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's nothing. I mean, I just, um, just yesterday in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And the reality is, is that in the future, when we enter into glory, when we enter into eternity, it says that God himself will wipe away every tear. And that there he that there will be the healing of our souls there. Did you understand what I'm saying? The future glory that we're to have. God will wipe away every tear because there will be no more pain. And it very clearly says, no more pain, no more suffering. Can you picture that? I can't even picture that. Because you can't go without a week without that happening, right? And as you get older, the moment you wake up out of bed, it's what? Pain, Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because it's body. Yeah. Do you, do you know? Do you understand what I'm saying? So Paul states that our present suffering doesn't even compare to the future glory. So he states that creation waits. So creation. What's creation, folks? The earth. Okay? The world we live in. Not the system, but the planet. Okay? The creation. He states that creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God at Christ's return. Even this world is waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. Now, who is that? You and I, believers in Christ, the saints in our new bodies. Do you understand what I'm saying? In perfection. This world is waiting for the time when Jesus Christ will come back and you and I will have new bodies and it will be a whole new world. The world's waiting for that. Why? Because of our sin, because of Adam's sin, the world was subjected. Do you understand? To the futility that it's in. So the world's groaning for a whole new world. Alright? So he goes on. Creation was subjected to decay because of God's judgment on Adam's sin. I just told you that. Paul's saying here, look, the reason why the world is the way it is is, is that it's in a state of decay. Science is even showing that. I, mean, I just listened to a report the other day. Now, forget the years that they're saying but the scientists are showing that the universe is in a state of decay and so many billions of years from now it will cease to exist. So even, even science is showing that there is a decay going on. Now, maybe I have their time frame a little bit messed up, but the fact of the matter is, is that our world that we live in is in a state of decay. Now, how did it get there? Because of Adam's sin. From the very beginning, the world was cursed. Because of Adam's sin, so creation will be delivered from the bondage during that time of future glory. Right now, it's in bondage, and during the time of future glory, it'll be delivered. What future glory? Who's got to come back first, folks? Jesus. Do you understand? Hey, and folks, I, I, you know, I, you know, I love our area. I'm, I, you know, I grew up in South Carolina. In what's known as the Sand Hills of South Carolina, down there in Columbia. Alright? Where's where the capital, center of the state. And let me tell you what it was like in my area. It was just a lot of sand and clay, scrub oaks and pines. Now let me, I have just one word to describe that to you. Ugly. It's just ugly down there. And, and the longer I live here with our hardwoods and the trees and the hills, and, and our streams and everything. And then I go back home and see those big, wide rivers. And that flat, scrub oak, swampy area. I just think, this is ugly. Who wants to live down here? And I used to think it was the greatest place in the world. But this is beautiful up here. But I'm going to tell you something. Don't get too used to this. Because when God comes back, our world's changing. Our world's changing. To perfection. To perfection. Did you understand what I'm saying? You thought I couldn't get any any better than this. It'll get better than this. Alright? He's telling us that we'll be delivered from the bondage. Now creation currently groans in labor up to this present time. So creation is currently groaning up to this present time waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. The world wants Jesus to come back. The earth. Now... He's using that to illustrate another point for you and I. Because like creation, believers groan as they wait for the redemption of their bodies. You know what, as I, as I mature in Christ, I've told you this before, I'll tell you again. I long for the day when I will be released from this body. Why? Why? The battle will end. What do you mean the battle? Just the mental battle. Did you realize that not every thought comes from you? Did you realize that, right? Not every thought comes from you. You have an enemy. The onslaught continues. The struggle with my body. What do you mean? The struggle with the desires of my body. Do you know what i Oh, I don't have any struggle with that. Really? Let us observe you for a day. Let's just go to Walmart. Okay? And stay away from the food section. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we, we, our bodies are groaning, if you're a believer, for something different, for something more. And this is what he's saying, like creation. You know what I'm saying? Our body, the believers groan for the redemption of their body. We want to be with the Lord. Because it'll be over. It'll be done. Hey, let me just, let me just stop for a minute. It's a good point to say this. If you're not, you need to ask yourself some questions. If you're not longing for something beyond here, you need to ask yourself some questions. What do you mean, George? Maybe you've gotten too comfortable. Maybe you've gotten too comfortable with where you are. Maybe you've adopted a mindset that says, Well, I'll just do whatever I can with my life and make it perfect while I can't. The the fact of the matter is, is, isn't the suffering that we going through that we go through enough to remind you that it's never going to be perfect here? You're never going to insulate yourself from problems. Just living life should be enough to cause you to want something more. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's found in who, folks? Jesus. And so there should be, if you're a believer, there should be a longing in your life for something more. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if there isn't, you've got to ask yourself some questions. Are you getting too comfortable with here? Here's the thing. Here's the nature of hope. Here's here's you and I have hope. The believer was saved with the hope of future glory. Part of you coming to Jesus was that you had a hope for future glory, right? For most of you, when you had the gospel presented to you, they talked about heaven, right? Am I correct in saying that? They talked about your place in heaven and being with Him rather than going to hell. I'm sure that was a part of the gospel presentation. You had a hope presented to you when you had the gospel presented to you and when you responded. Hope is not found in what one can see, but rather in what one cannot what cannot be seen. Do you understand? Hope is not found in what one can see, but rather in what cannot be seen. Our hope is not in what we see. First of all, there's no hope here, is there? Really? Well, I've got my job, it's pretty As Have you listen to that? I remember back in the 80s, early 90s, that the big political, remember when we, we, we're in a presidential election cycle now again. Do you remember back when they were running for president back in the 80s and 90s, the number one issue they would always talk about? Do you remember what it was? Job security. Remember that word? We wanted to make sure that everybody had job security. Have you noticed? They don't talk about that anymore. Cause there's no such thing. Do, do you know what I mean? There's no such thing as job security. Because that's the world we live in. That's the world we live in. And and so our hope isn't here. You can't see it. Our hope is what we cannot see. This type of hope produces perseverance as the believer waits. You know what's going to help you get through the stuff you're going through now? And trust me, you'll go through it. You might be going through it right now. If you're not going through it right now, It's just around the corner. Well, you're really depressing, George. No, I'm just being realistic. You're going to go through stuff. It's going to come out of nowhere, period, and shock you. And what gets you to get through it, can I be honest with you, is your hope in what? Your hope in what, folks? Yeah, Jesus. It's what will get you through it. Because let's be honest, it's the only secure thing, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the only secure thing that you can hold on to to the midst of what you're going through. Because if you, the older you get, the more you realize, I can't put my trust in people. I can't put my trust in stuff. I can't put my because it's not there, is it? It's not. This type of hope produces perseverance. And so you endure. You endure because you have that hope. Notice now, here's what he says about the Spirit. Here's how the Spirit helps us. The Spirit aids believers in their weaknesses as he intercedes for them. All right, so, wow, did he all of a sudden change the subject now? No. He's naturally going to what you and I need to understand. All right, we just said, notice the progression of the discussion. He talks about creation is groaning under the weight of the bondage that it's in. We groan because of wanting to be relieved from these bodies and be with Christ. He then talks about the hope that we have, the hope in the future, hope that we cannot see because what we see doesn't bring us hope. And... The reality is is that that hope produces perseverance in us. He then launches into now talking about how the Spirit helps us. And here's what you and I need to understand. Okay, let me just stop for a moment. You ever been through a crisis and you know you need to pray, but you don't know what to pray? Do you know what I'm saying? You're going through it. You don't know all of the circumstances. You just know it's painful. You just know this, you've got to have relief. You need God to do something. But you don't even know how to pray. You know what I'm talking about? You been there? Okay. What's he telling us now? The Spirit intercedes for us. Because he knows everything. He knows far more than you do about that situation. And even your understanding of that situation, can I be honest with you, may not be a full understanding. Or it might be twisted. But you just know you need to pray, but you don't even know how to pray anymore. The Spirit is the one who comes and intercedes for you. Man, there have been many times where I've gone to him and said, Lord, I don't even know how to pray but I thank you, Spirit, that you'll pray for me. Do you understand what I'm saying? He intercedes for you. He intercedes. Now, let me just stop for a moment, because I think we need to make a point here. Look with me at verse 26. He makes with groanings which cannot be uttered. Okay? What's the point here? Some people will use this as a support for the issue of tongues. I'm not going to talk about the validity of tongues. Okay, that's not the point here. But I am going to talk about what this verse is talking about. This has nothing to do with tongues. What do you mean? He just said, with groanings that cannot be what? Uttered. Meaning you can't hear them. They're not spoken. These are Groanings that are not spoken. So that means that the Spirit who lives within you is groaning for you. It's not an audible thing. That's the point here. The point is, is He's interceding for you, whether you realize it or not. It's not an audible thing. The Spirit, whether you're praying or not, the Spirit is what? Interceding for you. That's the point here. Do you understand? It has nothing to do with the issue of tongues. Tongues. Has nothing to do with the issue of tongues. It has to do with the issue of the emphasis of the passage. Is is that the spirit is interceding for you? So I don't know if I agree with you on that. That's fine, George. That's okay. But you need to understand that's what the grammar, that's what the passage is saying. He's interceding silently, groaning for you. It's not being uttered. All right. Now look here. God knows. The Spirit's mind as he intercedes for believers according to God's will. God the Father, who the Spirit is praying to, knows the Spirit's mind as he's praying for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? As he's praying for you. Now why would he know the Spirit's mind? Anybody? Theologically? Why would he know the Spirit's mind? They're one. Three and one. God, Jesus, the Son, and the Spirit are one. Of course they're going to know what is in each other's minds. Do you understand? That's what he's saying here. But now, he gets to verse 28-39. to 39. He's going to talk about your security. And you need to hear these verses as we discuss them. For we know that all things work... Together for the good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long, and we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul expresses confidence that all things work together for God's purpose in a believer's life. Now let me just stop. You need to grasp this one, people. I need to grasp it. You need to grasp it. Maturity is when you begin to grasp this. First of all, let me just say this. God does not create havoc in your life. Has everybody got that? You may write that down. God does not create havoc in your life. He is not the author of the pain in your life. He is not the author of that bad experience or that terrible experience or that tragedy. He is not the author of the offense that happens in your life. So everybody understand, that's life. Life is life and God is God. Alright? But what Paul is telling us here is this. God takes what happens to you in life and he uses it for your better. For his ultimate purpose. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? God takes what happens to you in life. And he uses it for your ultimate better. For, for what's needed in your life. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Now some people will take this verse and claim it when they're going through it. Well, it's going to turn out okay. Everything's going to turn out okay. Okay? Okay. And that doesn't, no, that's not saying that everything's going to, it may not turn out okay. But that doesn't take away from the truth here. The truth is, he takes the tragedy in your life, the circumstances, the stuff that's beating you up, and he ultimately uses it for his purpose in your life later on. Do you understand what's, because cause here's the thing, God doesn't think short term, he thinks long term. You may want to write that one down. God doesn't think short term, he thinks long term in terms of your life. What do you mean long-term? He thinks eternity. You being like Jesus. Now that's a hard pill to swallow. Because we want immediate relief. I I want immediate relief. Do you know what I'm saying? I want my problems to be okay. I want to to know that God's using them in the the way that I think. He's not going to use it in the way you think. Let me just stop that. You, You are not God. Nor can you teach him. Do you know what I mean? And think about it. <clears throat> Just stop for a moment. We should know from human experience that if it was left up to us as far as developing a course of life of how we should be in order to get where we need to get, we would always mess it up and never get what we want. What do you mean? Well, I want to lose weight, so I'm going to go on this diet. However, I'm going to change that diet to include these items that I don't really want to give up. Do you think I'm going to lose weight? No. You're going to be an athlete. Trainer tells you what you need to do. Yeah, I'll do that, but I'm going to adjust your your instructions to me just a little bit because I want to do it this way, my way. How's that go? Not very good. God takes the garbage in our lives. He doesn't necessarily take it because you're telling him what to do with it. He takes it to, ultimately for your good purpose. Okay? Let's go on here. Through his knowledge, God predestined believers to be conformed to the Christ image. Here, here, you want to understand? People get so hung up with this election thing, and I think it's almost, when I see people get so focused on this, I think, man, you're missing out on the whole purpose of why he's calling you. He's calling you, listen to me, his purpose from the very beginning for your life as a believer is right here, so that you could be like who? Jesus. His purpose is for you to be like Jesus. That's what he's calling you to. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's his predetermined plan for you. Nothing more than that. For you to be like who? Jesus. It's that simple. It's that simple. And those who were predestined were called, justified, and will be glorified. What's he talking about there? He's just talking about salvation. This is a general statement That in his predetermined disposition to call people to be like Christ, he's going to call them? How do you get called, folks? Somebody shared the gospel with you. The Holy Spirit drew you to to an understanding. He what? Justified you. What? Remember, we talked about that. What's justification? That's you being declared righteous. Not because of you, but because of who? Jesus And you will be what? Glorified. Now what is that? We just talked about that. Leaving this earth to be with Jesus and leaving this body and receiving our new glorified bodies. That's what he's talking about here. Okay? So let's go on. So here's going to talk about your security. Opposition will not prevail against believers because of God's protection. All right, so I want you to hear me. We believe in eternal security here as our church. That is our doctrinal position. We're not changing that. It's a long process to change that. We're not even going to start that. Okay? We believe in eternal security. Why do you believe in eternal security? Because of passage like this. What do you mean? Nothing can oppose you and take away your salvation. Because again, remember, well, is this some kind of new teaching? No, it's no new teaching. We've been talking about it all through, through Romans thus far. How do you get saved, folks? Is it anything that you do for salvation? It's because of who? He justifies you because of what Jesus did, not because of what you did. How do you know you have victory in living your life? Because of what Jesus did. What's he trying to say to us now here? He's trying to say to you, you don't need to be fearful. Because it has nothing to do with you. And any opposition that might arise against you, you don't need to worry about because you're protected by God. And you want to know what the ultimate protection is? Anybody have a clue what the ultimate protection is for God for you? Anybody got a clue? Here's what it is. The ultimate protection concerning your salvation and your life is the Holy Spirit whom Ephesians says was given to you as a what? A seal. A guarantee of your salvation until the day of redemption. What's the day of redemption, folks? It's not the day you got saved. It's the day when Jesus comes back. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do, do, Do you understand what I'm saying? So, Opposition will pre- will not prevail against the believer because of God's protection. God, who gave his son for believers, will freely give them all things. You need to understand that. God will freely give you all things. Now, wait a minute. Hold on a second. That's not a health and wealth prosperity verse. Okay, God, I want that truck. Need that bank account inflated. That is not what it's talking about. It's talking about what you need to get you through life. Wisdom, strength, hope, faith. Because you're going to be opposed. Hey, maybe you haven't had this experience, but I know I have. How many of you had people come up to you, you must not be a Christian. Because you did this, or you experienced that. That's opposition. That's opposition. Let me tell you something. Do they? How can I say it has nothing to do with you that you're saved? It has to do that you put your faith in who Jesus and what He did for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? So God gives His Son for all believers. He freely gives them through. To a series of questions, Paul shows that believers that they are secure in their salvation. Nobody can separate you from the love of God. Nobody. And look at that list. I mean, he goes through a whole list here. Any living creature, any spiritual being, any power—nothing can separate you. And I heard. Well, here's what I've heard people say. Well, it didn't include you. Yourself, hey. When it says any living creature, I'm part of that, right? Do you know what I'm saying? You can't. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like saying you're more powerful than God. Nothing's more powerful than God when it comes to Him. First of all, nothing's more powerful than God. Period. And nothing can separate you from salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? Through a series of questions here, nothing can separate you from the love of God. You've got to grasp that point. You've got to grasp it. Through all opposition, believers are what? Conquerors through Christ who love us. You are a conqueror. You're an overcomer. Hold on. And then here's the point. There is nothing that will separate a believer from the love of God in Christ Jesus Christ. There is nothing. Well, you don't know what I did. Hey, stop for a moment. Let's wake up to reality for a moment. We've got parents here. We've got grandparents. Your kids mess up. Now, come on, say, I mean. You, you tell them at home, you're not doing right. I mean, come on, tell them. Yeah, they mess up, right? It doesn't change who they are with you, right? It shouldn't. It doesn't change the love you have for them, right? We're talking about the Heavenly Father. Nothing can separate you from His love. That's what you gotta grasp. Nothing. Nothing. Own it. Okay? All right.